Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Before we get started, I am trying to keep this show alive. So please do check out the support page on podcastnick.com. You can support us on Patreon or PayPal or buy stickers and t-shirts or whatever you want. And speaking of which, here... Thank goodness we have a sponsor. Here, a message for them. This episode was brought to you by Studio Headphones. Studio is trying to bridge that gap between awesome tech device with amazing sound, but that might be a little bulky, and that snazzy accessory that might not have the best sound. Basically, a minimalistic and fashionable design with emphasis on audio quality, which would compete with the highest rated headphones on the market, but at a much more reasonable cost. They let me pick out a pair. I chose the Vaza, and I can vouch for them. Great rich sound where you can really pick out the details of music. And Studio's a cool company, Swedish, sleek, Scandinavian design. They ship for free anywhere in the world. Plus, if you enter Alchemy as a discount code on their website, not only do you get a 15% discount, but that also lets them know that I sent you, and that helps this show. So give the site a look, studiosweden.com. The Bluetooth headset batteries last over 24 hours of active use, much better than my previous headphones, or a full week in standby mode. And they really do sound as good as they look. That code was alchemy at studiosweden.com. The Secret Cabinet. Hello and welcome to a new edition of The Secret Cabinet. Today, the monster of London. London 225 years ago. It's the 19th of January, the Queen's birthday. Flags are waving everywhere, the church bells are ringing, and at night, tons of lanterns illuminate the main streets of the capital city and makes the whole city glow in an unusual brilliance. This brilliance is only surpassed by the gowns worn by the ladies in the ballroom. Even the queen and her fourth daughter, Mary, who's being introduced as a debutante this evening, have a hard time even keeping up. The present society is amusing itself and dancing. While the ballroom itself is reserved just for nobility and the upper crust, the not-quite-as-noble speak, the rest of the people, the lower classes, are up in the galleries. Among them, the picturesquely beautiful 21-year-old Anne Porter, daughter of Thomas Porter, proprietor of Piero's Bagno, a hotel, roadside inn, and a bath combination. Accompanying Anne is her two years younger but just as pretty 
sister Sarah, and as the times called for, the much less attractive, but therefore much sturdier built Mrs. Meal, their governess. Everyone's having a great time, but already around 11 o'clock, the queen departs along with her courtiers and entourage, and the ball officially ends. The Porter lady's curfew was until 12, because Mr. Porter had ordered a carriage for that time. But they don't want to wait that long, and after a short discussion with Miss Meal, they decide to walk the short distance back home on St. James Street without masculine protection. And there was a little bit of concern there, because... There was rumors that there was a monster roaming the streets of London, lurking at this time of night. But just a short quarter hour later, they're in the safety of St. James Street, already in view of their father's inn, when suddenly a dark figure comes from around the corner, looks Sarah in the face. Oh, that's you! And suddenly Sarah gets a fist to her head, staggers, but is able to keep herself from falling down and takes off running. And while the others of her party apparently didn't see the, the happenings, she yelled back at them, hurry up, don't you see that creep behind us? And just as the three get to the safety of the door, the creepy figure reaches the last of the three ladies, and Porter, but just then the inn door opens and the three ladies burst in. And before they can even realize what's happened, they realize that Anne's sprawled on the floor with her dress in tatters and a liquid streaming out from her body. Blood. The monster of London had struck again. Oh, uh, maybe you thought this was about the Jack the Ripper? No, he wouldn't terrorize the streets of London until a hundred years later. We find ourselves in the year 1790, and the monster of London had a lot more victims than good old Jack. Conservative estimates speak of around 40 to 50. He also attacked women in the dark with a knife, but he didn't kill them. He just stabbed them in their rear ends. Still, we find ourselves in a very strange time. The French Revolution had just begun. Just 14 years prior, the American colonies had thrown off the yoke of the British and declared themselves independent. And London itself just went through some social unrest. So in 1780, what had started as an anti-Catholic protest quickly escalated into a situation that could only be halted with military action. Add the mob, which was plundering houses, thrown over the carriages of the rich, and creating a general ruckus, had aimed their wrath at Parliament, oh, not to mention plundering the Holborn Gin Distillery. But even the army would have had a tough time had they been more organized, goal-oriented. But as such, due to the gin, well, they were a little influenced. But long story short, one was a little nervous in these times. And now, this monster. Apparently, it had been active already since 1788, and acted according to an established modus operandi. Unaccompanied young ladies wandering through the streets of London, generally late at night, all without exception, very exceedingly pretty, were approached by a big man in a blue overcoat and a tricorn hat, who had apparently been stalking them from behind corners or in alleyways. So approached isn't quite the word, more like vulgarly insulted. And when the ladies then turned away in disgust and started to leave, well, he'd walk after them, hurried but deliberately, and took his time patiently waiting until they reached a house door and had their backs turned to him. Then he attacked him, lightning quick, with a scalpel or really sharp knife, often piercing through the clothes and, depending on how deep he stabbed, even into the buttocks or the hip. 
the monster did justice. He had posters put up throughout the city, which he printed and paid for of his own, which announced the following. Public Office, Bull Street, Thursday, the 29th of April, 1790. 100 pounds reward. Recently, countless women's have been defaced and attacked and wounded by a person whose description is as follows. Anyone that is able to apprehend or even give information to Sir Thomas Wright shall get, with the arrest of the monster, 50 pounds from Mr. Engelstein and a further 50 upon prosecution. He seems to be around 30 years old, of average height, on the skinny side, pockmarked with a light face and a long nose, light brown hair, tied back in a braid, the sides short, sometimes dressed in all black, other times in an old worn blue overcoat. Sometimes wears straw yellow pants and half boots, sometimes wearing a tricorn hat, sometimes a high round hat, and usually carrying a walking stick. It's somewhat unclear why Engerstein would join the hunt with this kind of money. The gossipers at the time theorized that it was to get access to the witnesses, which he could interrogate intensely. Uh, did I already mention that these are almost without exception very young and pretty? And maybe only because of Engerstein's posters and high sum of money did this whole situation really get started. Because London was suddenly gripped by monster mania. George Foster, the German traveler and natural philosopher, writes in his diary in May of 1790, Four weeks now, London speaks of nothing but the monster. The newspapers are full of it. Playwrights entertain the masses with the stories of him on stage. Women fear him. Those looking for a fight see every passerby as the potential monster. All possible surfaces of walls are covered in posters of wanted and rewards. Voluntary subscriptions are opened for the hunt. Mrs. Smith supposedly shot it behind its ear. The monster goes around in disguise, stabbing women with a homemade implement, with hooks in bouquets, with ice picks and such. And this monster is no more nor less than a creature with which to entertain the masses of London. Although even if Foster makes light of it, most Londoners thought of the monster as a serious threat. Anti-monster neighborhood watches were established. Ladies, as far as they even went out at all anymore, only went out with the accompaniment of men. Supposedly, tailors even started creating special purpose armored underwear, or at least metal belts with flaps for protecting the rear parts. Theater pieces and even like songs sung in the streets uh, reported the latest news from the monster. Young gentlemen especially had a hard time since they were accustomed to approaching young women on the streets late at night. But now they feared to be suspected of being the monster themselves. One of them finally founded the No Monster Club with a pin on the lapel that said No Monster that ensured the women across from them that they were not the Cretan, which was currently terrorizing the streets. But for that, maybe a different one. The No Monster Club, however, wasn't really into hunting for the monster itself, which the newspaper in turn criticized the newspapers in their turn were part of this debacle in their own way. Others made use of the monster. A young Miss Bars, the daughter of a vegetable dealer, was even attacked twice by the monster and was injured quite severely on the hip. Well, hip, you know, I mean, you know. She became a small local celebrity and her father's store 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Buzzed. But after a couple weeks, it was determined that the wound in her hip and the cut in her coat didn't fit. And Bars must have inflicted her wound him herself. And she was not alone. Other young ladies had injured themselves in order to get a chance at Ungerstein's reward. Pickpockets also made use of the general chaos. As a well-to-do Londoner was robbed but noticed it and tried to defend himself, the thieves themselves started calling for help. He's the monster! He just attacked a woman! The thieves didn't get anything, but they did get away, and now the victim had to defend himself against an ever-growing angry mob. He was grabbed and nearly lynched, except for certain members of the crowd recognized him and were able to save him and were able to escape with the half-conscious greys in a coffee house. The mob, which had now grown to a thousand people, were given the slip out the back door and a quickly hailed cab from the Brown Bear Bar on Bow Street. Say that five times fast. But even here, the mob followed them, broke all the windows, and only with great effort were finally able to be talked down and not storm the bar. Finally, they were only able to escape by dressing up as women and sneaking out. But still, the end of the monster crisis was nowhere in sight. Now, Anne Porter, with whom we started this tale, the one attacked on the way home from the Queen's Ball, she, on a stroll through the St. James Park, suddenly discovered her attacker. He was walking right past her. Luckily, she was accompanied by her beau, the fishmonger Henry Coman, whom she told her suspicions. He did not conquer the monster openly on the field. No, no, no. He tailed the man in the blue overcoat and a long nose for quite some while for first until he finally saw him go into a private home. There, he finally confronted him, and after a long discussion, convinced him to make right and confront the young Miss Porter. Perhaps kind of strangely and a little surprisingly, for a, well, just caught violent criminal, the man, who turned out to be Renwick Williams, a manufacturer of artificial flowers, but he finally confessed to all. 
The Porter ladies both fainted when they first saw Williams, uh, apparently a quite normal reaction of women in Victorian times, in, I guess, overstimulating situations. But with that, the monster had definitively been identified and was arrested. The trial, however, became a farce. For the longest time, they couldn't even determine under what charges he should be brought up. There's a big difference, especially at the time, between felonies and misdemeanors. Felonies then could be banishment or even capital punishment. Misdemeanors is just a public whipping or some jail time. However, the latter might have started some pretty unpopular riots. I mean, because the verdict would be much too lenient. So they were looking for a law that was broken that would turn this into a felony. Oddly enough, I mean, so it wasn't murder, but the weird part is, is that just the intent to kill at that time counted as a misdemeanor. But finally, a capital offense was found. In a statute from 1721, it could be punishable by death to attack someone with the intent of damaging, tearing, or otherwise dirtying, or even besmudging their clothes on purpose. Yes, that's right. And this is also the first time that law was actually applied in a prosecution. And it didn't get better, because since no lawyer could be found to represent such a defendant, Williams was clearly guilty in the public's mind already. Only a couple hours before the trial could two lawyers finally be dug up that were willing. One of them, supposedly, had been drinking heavily. A Lady Wellis then also amused herself, and I guess the general court at trial, to accuse and then with rescind the accusations for all sorts of misdeeds that never really happened. But everyone seemed to enjoy this. But it happened as it had to. Williams was declared guilty. The sentence will be announced in December. But that was not the end of Williams, because suddenly in September of 1790, a certain Theophilus Swift appeared, a descendant of the great poet and author Jonathan Swift. As famous as his grandfather, who had written uh, Gulliver's Travels, Theophilus was not. But he was kind of a B-list celebrity. Um, he'd already come to the public's attention in a tiff with Colonel Lennox, although he had lost a duel by a mile on account of, uh, well, lack of shooting skills. In a pamphlet titled The Monster at Large, he flipped the whole story on its head. Williams was not the villain, but the victim. The money greed of the Porter ladies and Henry Coleman who had all conspired in order to get the reward. Williams was just the fitting scapegoat. Because the description of the poster didn't even fit Williams, and besides that, even after Williams' arrest, further attacks kept happening. And in the following debates in the newspapers, it was finally determined that they could not give him a capital punishment because of a statute of 1721. It just wasn't really a felony. And so the trial was appealed and started over again in October. This time it looked decidedly better for Renwick Williams. The public monster mania had died down a little, and this time the crazy Irishman Swift defended him himself. Uh, unfortunately, Swift's ego got in the way. Here he brought the conspiracy between the Porters and Coleman back on the table, but doused them so in insults and horrible rants that the jury finally decided against him and Williams. It probably didn't help that Swift talked the defendant into dyeing his hair black so that it was even further removed from the description of the monster. But everybody at court noticed. Williams was sentenced to six years in prison, two years for each attack on a woman since there were three women that appeared in court as witnesses, but from altogether 40 to 50 cases. Williams spent the next six years in the Newgate prison, 
where he became somewhat of a tourist attraction and was gawked at and even had a an account of his version of the stories and the trial published but no one bought and so continued his life manufacturing artificial flowers. After two years, he suddenly got a bunkmate, Teofilo Swift, who had to do a couple months time because once again, his ego got in the way. Because he had, well, according to himself, uh, was illegally evicted, he had hired his son to late at night go to find his landlord and, well, beat him up. After William's release, we kinda lose track of him. He appears to have gotten married and possibly died 1831. With the arrest of Williams, the reports of attacks did start to wane, although not suddenly. Was he the monster or not? Uh, possibly there wasn't a monster at all. And as the in the beginning mentioned George Foss mentions, a pickpocket who using an instrument to turn out pockets and steal the contents might have accidentally injured a woman in doing so. And this meaningless coincidence may have been enough to start off the whole hysteric story of a monster who raged against the beauty of women, or even a conspiracy of several people to make it seem like this. So was it just mass hysteria triggered by one wrong turn of a pickpocket's tool? Well, it would be possible. On the other hand, there is, there is actually a sort of mental illness, which does kind of give the urge of those suffering from the illness to want to wound uh, women, so-called peakerism. And so there are, of course, parallels to other events and other places and other times. 1819, there was a similar monster mania in the French capital. An unknown assailant attacked the lower backsides of pretty women with a knife which was attached to an umbrella or walking stick. And also in Paris, the mania was stoked through a high reward announced on wanted posters. Though, no matter what they tried to catch this picour, they even uh, dressed cops up as women, but the villain was never caught. And so, also at the same time, we have the Mädchen Schneider in Augsburg, the girl cutter. He would approach women starting in 1819 in Augsburg, late at night, and ask them if they're married, and aren't they afraid of walking so late at night alone? If they answered either of those in the negative, he would reply, Ich stech dich! <laughs> I, I stick you and would stab them with a little dagger. And a certain Georg Rügena was arrested, but the Mädchenstecher, the girl sticker, kept uh, stabbing more girls. While Rügena was in custody, they had to let him go. Despite even the eventual involvement of the military, the true perpetrator remained free. Well, until 1837. So some 18 years and 50 victims later, a Karl Bottle, a 37-year-old wine merchant, was finally arrested. He finally admitted to have done the axe out of a hatred for women, and the axe had stimulated him sexually. And weirdly, he got the exact same sentence as William, six years of prison. There's another Picura in Bozen, 1829, and Leipzig in 1860, Strasbourg in 1880, and Mainz, 1890. Even one of the Jack the Ripper suspects in 1891 had attacked women with a knife. But the man, a certain Thomas Kane Cutbush, yep, his name's Cutbush, had an alibi for one of the events in 1888 and was only suspected to be the Ripper two years later. But the actual MO of the Ripper himself was a complete different one. But even through the 20th and even 21st century, there are cases of piqûres. The last one, 2005, in Regensburg. It doesn't always have to be a bloody affair, though. The much earlier 
so-called Whipping Tom, already did his mischief in 1680. This uh, Tom, his real name isn't known, stalked unaccompanied women in the area of Fleet Street and Chancellery Lane, Strand and Holborn. He would then jump out and yell, Spanko! He would then lift their skirts sky high and with the flat of his hand, spank their rear ends. He did this with such skill and speed that the public thought he must have supernatural powers, or perhaps was even a ghost. He also was never caught. And in that sense, watch your backs, and uh, do stay tuned on the next time on The Secret Cabinet. For Deb Woodlaw, I'm Travis Dow. Ich dich dich. No, I'm just kidding. Spanko! I'm just kidding. Thanks for listening. Do come check out Secret Cabinet t-shirts, stickers, all that and more, all our other shows at podcastnick.com. That's podcastnik.com. Thanks. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.